1: And welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectators' Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Katie Balls, and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and Fraser Nelson. Now, tomorrow Parliament returns for the King's Speech. Um, there's lots of talk at the moment about what could fill that, but before we get there, is another policy suggestion that is causing issue today within the Tory Party and beyond, and that relates to the Home Secretary Suella Braverman. Braverman is proposing new laws to restrict the use of tents by homeless people. However, the part that has animated both the opposition and some of the party is that she argued that many of those who use the tents see it as a lifestyle choice. Isabel, just talk us through where we are at from the original Financial Times story at the weekend and then the Home Secretary confirming it with those comments.
2: Yeah, so she confirmed this on Twitter and said, nobody in Britain should be living in a tent on our streets. There are options for people who don't want to be sleeping rough Uh, Then she described them as uh, living on the streets as as a lifestyle choice and that the streets were being taken over by rows of tents occupied by people, many of them from abroad. Now, she's an intelligent woman. Um, She knew that her comments were going to spark what we in the um, newspaper trade like to call fury. And there has indeed been fury at her comments. And that was obviously the intention of what she was doing. I think it it is a it is a much more complicated issue than people like to make out in that to a certain extent rough sleeping is very different to homelessness um and often lef- levels of rough sleeping are wrongly taken to be the same as levels of homelessness where actually a lot of people who are homeless are in really horrible temporary accommodation bed and breakfast really unsafe uh, places with uh you know, their children, um, and so on, Um, and they're not on the streets. And rough sleeping tends to have very strong associations with addictions, um, and people who are, for one reason or another, trying to opt out of the very complex demands that living in a house actually put on people who are very vulnerable. And so people who work with rough sleepers will often say that, There does need to be a disincentive to continuing to sleep rough, which is why there have been lots of debates about um, soup kitchens and giving money to people who are rough sleeping and so on. Uh, Even from uh, rough sleeping charities, because their aim is to try to help people get into a place where they can mentally manage being in their own accommodation. None of that is what Suella Braverman was really suggesting. I don't think she's, she's really talking about the sort of nuances of um, of trying to uh, encourage people into more stable accommodation and, and off the streets. Uh, and it's, you know, it's one of those sort of social media talking points. Um, it also kind of ties into something that a lot of Conservatives have been very anxious about. And I know the Centre for Social Justice have been uh, doing the rounds since... Um, Suella Bravman made these comments saying that actually there's a lot of rough sleeping because of a political choice made by the government um, not to follow up recommendations made by the CSJ on rough sleeping and homelessness. So I think it sort of, you know, it sparked an interesting debate within conservative circles um, amongst those who have really spent a lot of time understanding homelessness and rough sleeping. And Fraser, this morning we've heard a
1: sign of cabinet disunity on the issue. Um, Claire Catina, the new energy secretary, um, said that she would, would not have used the phrase lifestyle choice.
0: Yes, and I think what we're seeing now is a fairly standard tactic amongst Home Secretaries. Um, I'm old enough to remember David Blunkett when in 2002, when he was Home Secretary, he was saying that local authorities are being swamped by, um, by immigrants. And the word swamped, of course, caused huge controversy. Uh, and at the time, uh, I remember, I was relatively new to politics at the time, and it was, uh, I was unexplained to me what happened. But now and again, a Home Secretary will, will say something incendiary. The purpose is to get everybody to be outraged the purpose of that is to make sure the government is not attacked by anybody to the right of them so if you've got Suala Bravman using incendiary language here it sends a message or is intended to send a message that if you're really annoyed about rough sleeping if you're really annoyed about tentsmen don't worry this conservative government is somebody who's even more annoyed than you who's being criticized for it so that makes them less vulnerable to I don't know like say a a kind of a Nigel Farage-style attack on the government for being too soft on this. Now, of course, the, if you boil down to the, the sense of what she's saying, that she's saying that the government does make provisions for people who, have, for something like 100,000 people in temporary accommodation, that, that facility is there for people who cannot accommodate themselves. And we sh- it should not be legal for somebody to choose to live in a street in this way. Now, if you—that was the point she was making—and the legality of it is fairly uncontroversial. That has been the law in this country for quite some time. But then this gets, um, as she will probably have known, interpreted into asking to what extent is somebody um, on the streets choosing? to be there and if you talk to charities and work with such people they will tell you that there are huge numbers of cases we're talking people who are very much drug dependent who have got Um, severe mental health problems who for whatever reason do not have their life together to the extent whereby they can work in contact with local authorities and be able to get that kind of accommodation. Every society is always going to have people who cannot be helped using traditional methods and that's why you need to go all out to work out what you can do as a society to help people who in that situation Now, um, Suella Braverman could have made that point in the way that Claire Cortino, obviously that would be her style of politics, her style of language but then again, I suspect Paula Bravman is Home Secretary precisely because she can be relied to be a disruptor every now and again, to cause such a fuss. I mean, this is why the Conservative Party's got the chairman that has got. If you're a mild-mannered chap like Rishi Sunak, you need people like this to be outriders and dropping occasional verbal bombs and creating a fuss which says to the exasperated, don't worry, we Tories are on your side.
1: Now, the other story over the weekend uh, relates to the serialisation of Nadine Doris's book on the plot against Boris Johnson. Now, it began with stories, allegations of, well, there is a rabbit killer advising number 10, but paid for by the party. But the turn it took on Sunday, ultimately about, well, the Tory party has covered up allegations against an MP and whether they handled the complaints properly. Deputy Prime Minister Oliver Dowden, who previously was party chairman, denied the party had covered up allegations. This morning, Rishi Sunak is saying he's taking it very seriously. Isabel, what is the political issue right now for Rishi Sunak in terms of handling which really is prior to him being prime minister?
2: Yeah, I mean, this uh, shows... I guess the kind of long tail of, of of the complaints problems that the Conservatives have been having, um, for as you say, a, a number of years, and um, I think there's, I think in terms of implications for the Prime Minister, that the, the Deputy Prime Minister Oliver Dowden has already denied that the party covered up allegations, yeah, and the sort of claims that um. The Conservative Party had ignored these complaints. And I think one of the problems with, I think, you know, both of the main parties, all the parties and indeed Parliament's independent grievance system is that these these very very serious complaints that are made not sexual harassment and not that kind of thing but actually complaints of uh serious criminal offences i don't think any of the parties complaints processes have really worked out how to deal with something that serious um particularly uh, in cases where the complainant has either gone to the police and been you know frankly let down by the police or has decided not to go to the police uh, and it's very difficult because obviously if you have allegations that are that serious against somebody, there needs to be a, you know, a disciplinary process that runs alongside that. But the Conservative party, Labour party, parliament isn't actually, you know, it's not a, it's not a criminal court. So I think that, you know, none of the parties have really worked out quite how to deal with these kinds of allegations. And I think there's a kind of split within the Conservative Party on this as well. So and I have to say it does run along gender lines. So you talk to female Tory MPs. And um, and this really came out when the um, uh, the Neil Parrish row happened as well, uh, where you had female Tory MPs who just felt that they were just not being taken at all seriously. Um, and the complainants weren't being taken seriously, and that there was still a a culture of misogyny in the party, a sort of real frustration and you know, you talk to female Tory MPs today and a lot of them just say, look, th- things haven't really improved since Me Too, which was 2017. And then you talk to other MPs. And again, it does tend to be male MPs who take this view w- that MPs are, while powerful, also vulnerable, like other public-facing um, public service roles, to malicious allegations. And, you know, teachers and and medics will know this, that if you're working with sometimes vulnerable people, you can get accused of of things or um, indeed uh, accused of things by people who want to do you political harm. Um, And I think there's a lot more sympathy from this group of MPs for keeping the accused anonymous and for not closing ranks but really sticking by those MPs. And I'm I'm afraid that has happened to a real fault, actually, within the Conservative Party in, in recent years. In a separate case... A lot of conservative MPs absolutely stood by Charlie Elphick, um, who was later found by a court to have sexually assaulted um, women. They stuck by him because they felt from the outset that he was just being mistreated. I can understand that. I can totally understand the the desire to protect a colleague, but I think there's also probably a a slight siege mentality sometimes a, a, a amongst MPs that that stops them from thinking rationally about this.
1: And just finally, Fraser, in that interview on Sunday, Oliver Dowden, uh, who served as chairman, said that he didn't know who the accused MP in question is. Do you think that is something that you would expect from a former chairman, given these long-standing complaints?
0: When I heard that, I thought to myself, well, he is putting himself in a very delicate situation here. Either he genuinely doesn't know who the accused was, or um, if he, or or he's basically, he sort of misspoke, shall we say. He was trying to say, look, I was Tory party chairman, this was dealt with at arm's length for me, it wasn't me involved in it, it's due to kept me out of it. But I have to say that any time an MP is arrested and we don't know who it is, then there is in Westminster an instant kind of guessing game that goes round. Okay, who do we think it could be? Now, rather depressingly for the Conservative Party, there's normally at least two dozen plausible suspects. But by the time people actually work out who it is, it normally doesn't take very long. Certainly in journalistic circles, I would say no longer than 90 minutes to two hours to work out who it is. This is the gossipy nature of Westminster, so we we can all know who isn't being named. Now, if the chairman of the Conservative Party genuinely didn't know who the MP in this scenario was, then fine. But if somebody did tell him, and that becomes public, he will be in a very difficult situation. So um, I think the Daily Mail has gone very hard on it today, pretty much dedicated its front page to this. It's got a bit more of the Dean Doris's book left to run here. So I think we're going to have interesting few days for Oliver Dowden and I hope for his sake that he genuinely didn't know because if it transpires that he did he'll be in a tricky situation.
1: Thank you Fraser, thank you Isabel and thank you for listening.